Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Knollcast. Uh, Bud, want to begin, as always, by thanking our friends, New Iberia, Louisiana. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, something that I was uh, honestly just using on my dinner about 45 minutes ago. Fortunate to be able to uh, work with people that we uh, authentically love their product, and Louisiana Hot Sauce has been a great addition to our podcast. So as always, want to begin by thanking our title sponsor, I have a little bit of a baseball update uh, to jump into here real quickly and then talk uh, about a, a defection, I guess. Um, I don't know if I'd call it a defection, but a, a member of the 2019 class that won't necessarily make their way to Tallahassee and then have a lot of uh, a lot of great listener questions amongst other things to get into. So with that, Bud, let's uh, jump into this, uh, this mid-June version of a uh, summer edition of the Knollcast. Absolutely, man. Excited to do it. Excited to be back with you and excited to get some time and also, shout out to uh, Fee Kavangali uh, for a sharp-looking but not ridiculous-looking NBA draft suit. Came in there with kind of the royal blue look. It looked good. He was smiling. Looks like he's having a good time. If he gets drafted, we'll give you a live, like live for now, but it's recorded, so it won't actually be live by the time you listen to it. Uh, but if he gets drafted while we record, we will probably break in with that breaking news. But, uh, yeah, last night... In Omaha, end of an era as Florida State lost to Texas Tech uh, in, in the College World Series. And, you know, it, it, was, it was sad to see Mike Martin go. 40 years, 40 wins. And I, I know we have some, some questions in our Q&A session and, and also some in our, our, I think our buy or sell uh, segment, which we're bringing back because a lot of people asked about it. It's a record that will never be, be topped, I don't think. A really special career, and you know, if you start with kind of the just the the, the very narrow, you know, like they, they didn't hit the ball out there. That was basically it. Their, their pitching was was pretty phenomenal. I never thought they would they would go out there and not hit. I mean, some of the at bats they've been having weren't that great, but at the same time, they managed to hit the ball very well against LSU and especially against Georgia in taking down in sweep fashion two national seeds in back-to-back weekends, right? Like, rolling into Omaha, I did not see them scoring, uh, you know, what? Just a, a, like, less than five runs combined in three games? That, that was not uh, – I didn't think that was in the cards, and yet yet that's what happened. They ran into some really good pitching performances, but they also uh, had some at-bats, which were kind of poor. And I think the pitching kind of pitched over its head a little bit, far beyond most people's, people's expectations. But for me – this team exceeded expectations, I, I think, or at least met the preseason expectations that they had. How they got there was interesting. They obviously had a stretch where they lost a, a whole bunch of games in the middle of the season. To be able to kind of you know bring it all back and pull it together and, and make a run into Omaha and even win the win the first game in Omaha for the first time in a while, that was really cool to see. And, and congrats to Mike Martin on, on a tremendous career. That, that's that's kind of my take on that. Yeah. Amazing career a record that uh, I don't think will be broken. Uh, I don't not sure it'll even be approached uh, at any time. Just remarkable consistency at uh, an individual institution for as long as he was. And, uh, you know, there were certain periods of time where you felt like there was something really something maybe special uh, brewing here. And, and who knows, maybe if you were able to beat uh, Michigan and, and didn't just run into a buzzsaw with their starting pitcher there that uh, things would have gone differently. But a, a fantastic ending 
as we said earlier, uh, both on this episode and as we've said in previous episodes, a fantastic ending to a season that uh, six weeks ago looked like it was going to be nothing but uh, depressing and, and disappointment. So uh, a great final end. Great to be able to see everybody associated with Florida State baseball uh, travel to Omaha. And also it was just great uh, for this fan base. You know, there is it's it's a, a little bit of a different fan base from the uh, general Florida State athletic supporter in that it trends to be a little bit more Tallahassee based um, and a little bit more, uh, I don't know if you want to say niche in its focus, but uh, great for them to be rewarded with something like that. And a, and a reminder to the very passionate and supportive fan base that Florida State's able and, uh, uh, you know, very fortunate to be able to have behind it. Also, uh, I, I have to call myself out here. I mean, I still, I think I was right, but the results said I was not. Uh, Drew Parrish absolutely shoved in game one, an awesome performance. He gave up a, a little bit of hard contact early, and I was like, oh, this, this is going to get bad as I see him second and third time through the order. Actually, no, he got a lot better second and third time through the order, which was really, that's very uncommon at any level of baseball. Uh, I wanted them to throw Van Eck game one. Ultimately, Van Eck did not throw as well in game two as, as Parrish did. In game one, I mean, he wasn't terrible. He had a lot of strikeouts, did a good job with that. I think his performance was better than a lot of the announcers were giving him credit for. I'm like, look, he's given up one run. He's striking out like two thirds of the batters through five innings. I mean, this is how, how much hard contact is the guy really allowed? I mean, he's he's had a lot of a lot of foul balls, and, and he allowed one dinger, which was you know, nobody on. But it wasn't like he was walking the world. He was striking a lot of guys out and, and allowing a lot of kind of soft and medium contact and. As a pitcher, the, the things you control are missing bats, striking people out, not walking people, and to some extent, the quality of contact you allow. And he really didn't allow a whole lot of hard contact. So I, I thought he did a good job, but ultimately Parrish uh, had the better pitching performance. And, and so I think that probably was the right move by Mike Martin. We can quibble with some pinch hit or <laughs> deciding to not pinch hit decisions uh, in, in games two and three, but he pushed the right buttons pretty overwhelmingly in the playoffs, you know, if, if you count the the regional and, and the super, so pretty cool end to an awesome career. Very, uh, very, just fantastic to see uh, see somebody like that be able to to go out in the manner that they did. And certainly, there wasn't the Cinderella ending where uh, you win your final game of the season for the only time for the first time in your career. But uh, hats off to Martin in the baseball program gave a. <clears throat> gave an awful lot of uh, enjoyment to a lot of people in the final final weeks of the season, and fantastic to go and beat two uh, two SEC powerhouses in a, in a sport that really is more kind of kind of more their speed right now in college baseball than anybody else's. So, uh, a great final end to a distinguished career and something that will never be replicated. Uh, ending to one career and maybe one career at Florida State that never was. Uh, Florida State loses a. Uh, it's only skill position player for the 2019 class, if I am not mistaken. Uh, Goolsby was a, a an, an interesting prospect, a guy that I think neither of us were – let me see how I can say this. Neither of us thought necessarily his recruiting rankings, depending on the services that you looked at, uh, paired with, with maybe quite the talent that he was, in my opinion, uh, not a four-star prospect, although some had him uh, rated as such. And uh, a kid that uh, won't be making his way to Tallahassee for whatever reason. So um, an area that uh, they seem to be recruiting pretty well, seem to be selling the idea of playing time uh, even before this, but uh, a guy that uh, that won't uh, won't ever wear garnet and gold. 
Okay, so my take on on this is as follows. Number one, I don't want to do the revisionist history thing where we're like, they have no skill position players in this class. That's so terrible. That's so terrible. I want to go back to what we said on signing day. Number one, they were not in a position to get an elite running back. That is a position where kids tend to play early. What did they do? They smartly went and got a very good walk-on to say yes to them as opposed to scholarship offers from several other good schools. To me, that's still a plus. At receiver, you took a very big receiver class the year prior. You're trying to see how these guys shake out. You missed on your top targets like a George Pickens, like like a, a Harrison who went to Oklahoma, et cetera, et cetera, last year. You didn't really reach too much. You took one guy in Goolsby who I don't think we ever were really that high on if you go back and listen to the archives. So it would be somewhat hypocritical of me to sit here and talk about how terrible it is to lose Goolsby when, in fact, I didn't think Goolsby was that good. And if I'm going to be the guy criticizing them for not taking and not landing enough instant impact, you know, top level players, which I did and still levy that criticism, then I'm not going to flip out when, when one of the three stars who I don't identify as an instant impact type guy leaves the class. I do think in this Kendall Bryles offense, the ability to sell early playing time at the receiver position is going to be an asset. I think he's going to try to get the ball in guys' hands in a lot of different ways. You're already seeing some traction with, with Brian Robinson, the receiver who decommitted from Miami. I know he's liked Florida State for a while. Michael Redding, the kid out of IMG, Florida State is, is pretty squarely in that battle along with Notre Dame and Florida and maybe a couple others. Um, they already have Malachi Wyben, who is a lot better player than Goolsby. Um, did Goolsby decide to go play baseball? Was there some court, sort of academic thing? I I don't know the actual story on that officially, uh, but I, I don't think that's a, a big loss to the class. Um, and he was not really a... a a standout player to me. I'm not saying he's a guy who should have never been offered by Florida State, but but um, he's certainly not somebody who I identified as, as one of the better recruits in their class, like you said, regardless of, of ranking. We, we do pay attention to the rankings, but um, on, on a you know, on a macro level, they're, they're pretty good. On a micro level, sometimes inconsistent player to player. Goolsby, I, I wasn't a huge fan. Um, so... Ultimately, we will judge the receiver position on how they do in this year's class and how the how the guys from the uh, the 2018 class turn out. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah. Not uh, there's there's members of this class that I would certainly respond in a in a much more concerned fashion if news were to break that they uh, were not ultimately going to be a part of it. Um, that's really all that we have for uh, more recent news. Like I said, we've got a ton of questions that we'll try to get to. Really appreciate all the feedback that we've received. Uh, Bud and I will make every attempt <clears throat> to get to as many of these as possible. But honestly, uh, with the traffic that the inbox is receiving right now, it would be uh, all but impossible. So uh, we'll try to we'll try to concentrate uh, with when and if possible, and we'll jump into these. Uh, with the idea of getting through as many as we can. The first one comes from Harrison. Harrison writes, I'm not exactly sure about the fan base as a whole, but the opinions I get from my peers is that the majority uh, of fans are, excuse me, the majority are not fans of the turnover bag. Me as well. I get it's a player's thing and all, so whatever they want to do is their business. That being said, here's a hypothetical for you. What would be your thoughts of a turnover jacket? Specifically, a turnover bandit jacket, similar to the one 
Burt Reynolds wore in Smokey and the Bandit. Not only would the players get to flaunt their decked-out bandit jacket, it would be a small tribute to one of FSU's most beloved former players. Not to mention that uh, you just stole the ball from the opposing offense, so technically you're a bandit anyway. Harrison, I think that is a a brilliant idea, Uh, one that maybe not translate uh, immediately to the uh, generation that uh, occupies the field right now, so you might have to spice that jacket up a little bit more, but uh, the the fundamentals of your idea, I think, are fantastic, and uh, it'd be great to see Florida State incorporate any any part of this, uh, and I also join in my skepticism and borderline just stays at the turnover back. Uh, so that's my opinion on that one, bud. I, I think I'm there with you, man. Like, I, I have not been as anti-turnover bag as you have. I will note that uh, I just looked at the rosters for the opening, which is Nike's big uh, big shindig there in Dallas. Uh, used to be out in Portland at Nike HQ, but since Jerry Jones' company bought it, um, bought the opening, not not bought Nike. That, that would make news. Um, they moved it to Dallas, but uh, one of the one of the rosters. You, you, you want to know what the team names are for the uh, for the rosters out there in the opening? I'm gonna guess one of them may be Bandit or Bandits. Uh, bag Team Bag. Team, okay. And and literally they what what is the uh, what is the logo? It's the FSU turnover bag without FSU's logo on there, but the same color, same exact bag. It's a thing with with the young people. Like it's it's not. Uh, it's not going away, seemingly. Uh, but that doesn't mean Florida State's turnover bag doesn't have to go away. I think it should go away uh, because the boosters absolutely hated it. Um, and it's, it's a thing to where I don't think, like, just because the fans don't like something, you have to let that dictate your decision-making. But it's also a thing to where I do think you can probably find other motivational tools to achieve a similar result, which I think they could do. Maybe a Smokey in the Bandit jacket. Uh Possibly, I'm, I'm all for that. Or just anything else could could work. That's fine. Um, and I, don't you kind of want to want to kind of like wash some of the bad the bad feelings from last year away, and, and not bring that back? I, I would think. Would think not having that thing out there would be good for all parties involved. And I was not a fan of the bag. <clears throat> I stated as much, uh, but really haven't talked about it much. It's, it's you know, trashing uh, trashing something like that can grow tired on on everybody's ears pretty quickly so stated my opinion be great to see some a uh, little bit of change there understand the uh underlying like kind of pop culture significance of uh securing the bag and everything else but just didn't think it blended into uh just seemed a little force seemed a little force and it seemed like we uh maybe didn't make the best decision with our turnover prop so harrison great suggestion for her turnover prop 2.0 Kurt writes that he's been a listener to the show for years and uh, really appreciates the content we deliver. Thank you, Kurt. In regards to the offensive line this upcoming season, I have a few questions. Do you think that pride alone may motivate these players to be better considering how often they've been maligned in the past year? I know my personal pride has motivated me to improve upon past performances and succeed in the past where I've failed. Do you feel the second part of this question is, do you feel that having Randy Clements with a new teaching style and his longtime association with Kendall Browse will make up the offensive lines, uh, will make the offensive lines job easier. So why don't we go ahead and uh, attach those two before we get to the third part of Kurt's question. All right. Yeah. Uh, so um, I do think that motivation could be improved this year uh, simply because I, I think last year they were pretty beaten down. 
not undeservedly, of course. Uh, they, they were that bad and they heard about it. And I mean, that's kind of what it was. Uh, but coming into the season with, with some new confidence certainly could help, especially if they play a little better in, in game one of this year than they did uh, in, in game one of last year. And, and I do think that having Randy Clements and, and Bryles individually as coaches, I think they're both probably pretty good coaches, right? They have good track records. But I think the the real added value, sort of the, the, the force multiplier here, uh, is the one in which they work together. And Barton Simmons had an anecdote about this the other day. I think it was Barton. Uh, but he, he, had, he had noted, look, when uh, who who is the uh, the new the new OC for um, for USC? Uh, he's an air, uh, Graham Harrell, right? He was talking to the new offensive line coach there at USC, according to Barton on their podcast, and, and he said uh, the 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 new line coach at USC because they had this new new system. He was kind of like bored, not really sure what to do in practice because they, they just wanted him to work on fundamentals so much with his guys, and the new OC was just telling him, look, don't. I don't want him confused, right? We just want to go out there and play ball. We just need him to improve some, <laughs> you know, which I was like, hmm, that situation sounds a little bit familiar to this team that I cover in Tallahassee. Uh, and, and so I do think giving better fundamentals to these guys, not throwing as much at them. I mean, and I don't think they threw too much at them last year, but there's no learning curve between Randy Clements and Kendall Bryles. Does that, does that make sense? Like everything that Kendall tells Randy to do, Randy's not going to be like, okay, hey, he, when I was here, we taught it like that. Do you mean it like that? He's just going to be like, Kendall, I got you. I, I, I know what you mean because I've been with you for like 20 years. You know, that's that's the kind of thing there to where the there's no learning curve. He knows what, what Kendall expects of him. When Kendall uses a term, Randy knows what the term means. I think he's more comfortable teaching this system a little bit than, than Greg Fry was uh, because it's, at certain points, I think, Bell was trying to figure out the system as well. Um, and so that that's a benefit that I think you will see from them. Um, I'm kind of baking that into my projections for the offensive line already. I'm not like that's not something I haven't considered, but it, I think there's a there's a good point that Kurt brings up about the motivation. And we definitely thank him for being a longtime listener. Third part of his question is, what, if anything, have you heard about the strength and conditioning program making these kids bigger, stronger, faster? Seems that SNC has been such a closely guarded secret since Taggart arrived. Uh, and that's the that's the end of his question there. And he also congratulates you on the uh, birth year of your son. Awesome. Kirk, thank you very much. Um, well, we have seen some good results out of, out of some kids. I know that they really thought FSU's guys were very weak, especially up front when they got here and that was expressed to me by some guys on staff and they, they really couldn't believe how weak they were. Um, some of the dudes have obviously been run off and, and didn't like working out less so this year than last year. One guy I'll point out by the way, that, that seemingly has done a really good job is, is Robert Cooper. I mean, he, he's lost like 50 something pounds, I think since he enrolled. That's big. They're going to need him. You he's know, at he, a even uh, the spring game. Yeah, he's had a consistent kind of reshaping of his body since he's been on campus. You're absolutely right, and that it's uh, that that is headed in the in the right direction since day one. And credit to him and the staff. Yeah. So I I, I don't know if they're the most amazing SNC staff in the world. I I do think that they are an upgrade over what Florida State had in sort of the 15 to 17 uh, time frame because there was some stuff going on there that I, I was was not good. Um, 
there are some reasons to why it's not like uh, the strength and conditioning was a secret or anything like that. But that wasn't the first guy you were going to make available for for media availability. I put it that way. Uh, so there's <laughs> there's a reason why that wasn't uh, you know talking point number two uh, upon getting hired for Taggart, and I imagine that you'll probably see uh, a little bit more. Uh, about that part of the program as as time goes by. So uh, appreciate the uh, question, Kurt, and uh, thank you again for your listenership. Kale writes, love the show, guys, and your sponsor down here from where I'm from in New Iberia, Louisiana. Good for you, Kale. My question to you both is that in the past, we've seen a trend of constant regression as far as all position groups go. Um, do you think that that's a lack of leadership and focus uh, could be a result of this? I'd also like to know if you think we've recruited more leaders. Do you think the bar would be raised across the locker room with more vocal leadership? Considering how Jameis and Telvin seem to keep everything on track, it would seem difficult to believe that it wouldn't help the team's morale and overall work ethic improve, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I, I think that, that he has a good point here. Um, I'm a little bit confused as to what he means in the first part of the question, but yeah, I, I think a regression in in overall performance has probably been exacerbated by a lack of leadership at certain positions. So I, I would agree with him there. Um, the second point, I, I do think that's an area where where I do give Willie credit. I, I think he has definitely tried to go out and get some guys who were team captains and, and who are actual leaders and, and who like playing football, right? Not just chasing a check from the NFL, which is important too. And we don't want to lose sight of that. Like a lot of those guys are real talented, they want that, but it is important to have got some guys who are, are sort of more team guys and who actually care about winning and, and care about what their teammates do. You cannot have a team – well, you can. You, you should not uh, endeavor to have a team that is solely mercenaries. And I, I think uh, a little bit towards the end of the gym, there's a lot of me, 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 you know, and, and not a whole lot of we, we, we. And, I yeah, that's an area – and I've criticized Willie for some of the recruiting stuff he's done. Uh, or, well, the results, especially uh, with, with the lack of elite talent. But I, I do credit him for getting in, in my opinion, better leaders. Guys who, you know, I observe these kids when they're on the sidelines. They they don't act like complete idiots for the most part, you know, and not just – I have standards for these kids, right? Like there's some of these dudes who just act like high school kids. That's fine. You know, that's not a big deal. But like, you know, the ones you can tell – I don't know. Like if, you just, if you're around these kids, you can kind of tell a lot of times – who's going to be trouble. And for the most part, he's done a good job of bringing in guys who are going to add to the program's culture and not subtract from it. And that was desperately needed given the culture that he inherited uh, and especially the, the academic side of things where the, the kids just were straight not going to class. And that was uh, a problem because it's college football, so you actually have to have some guys go to class at least sometimes. And that is a... Uh... Oh, by the way, uh, shout out to Kale's dad. He said, P.S., I'm sorry. If this is a topic you've already covered. My dad listens every day, and now I have followed the trend uh, as of late, so I apologize in advance. So oh, thanks, Kale's dad. Family affair. Family affair. Yeah. Surprising how many people write that uh, they either listen to the podcast with their family or a recommendation by somebody in their family. Uh, it's just humbling as to how uh, how our show gets shared or, or group consumed or anything else. So uh, thank you to Kale, and thank you to his dad. I, th I wonder if Kale's dad took Kale's iPhone and subscribed to the show. <laughs> and then Kale picked up his iPhone and he was like, what's this? Noelcast. And he, he hit play. And of course, he loved it because it's us. I want that could be cool. 
Uh, next question here is, uh, uh, how do I pronounce that, bud, do you think? Is that... I, it, so it's X-A-N. Uh, I'm going to say Zan. 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 Because like, if you think of it like Xanthum gum, right? X-A-N-T-H-A. Yeah. If we've, Let's just uh, call it Zan. If we've butchered that, we apologize. Zan, with a solid sense of humor, writes, As I sit here enjoying my bottle of Louisiana hot sauce through a straw, I can't stop but thinking about the Boise State game. I feel like I shouldn't be as nervous for this game as uh, I am, but I'm legitimately worried. Not necessarily about the Boise State team we are playing, but about our team. How they come out, how they act when adversity hits how they play all four quarters, etc. Do you think it's fair to say this will be one of the more influential games in FSU history? If they lose, I think we fold for the season and the whole team collapses. Old coaches, new coaches, everyone. Yet if we win, I think Florida State goes on to win at least eight and Willie gets himself some more breathing room and a caliber of recruit that he's more used to getting. I realized uh, that that was a lot. Paraphrase if you need be, but just wanted your opinion as to the magnitude of this game. Uh, okay, so I, I agree this game is important. I, I don't know about you here. I, I, I think we we all think it's pretty important. Um, but I, I I don't think that it's quite as important as, as, as Zan thinks it is. Uh, so his question is kind of, do you think it's fair to say this will be one of the most influential games in FSU history? Uh, FSU history, no. I, I, I think we're getting getting out over our skis a little bit there but i think it's a wildly important game i do and i I, on the on the solo podcast i did uh about a month ago i mentioned that in my opinion it's almost disturbingly uh in the the magnitude of importance and some uh on the in the athletic uh the athletic uh uh, excuse me, the Moore Center feel as though they're, you know, just concerned by how, how much, in their opinion, rides on this game. So I both agree with him and, and disagree with him uh, in the fact that it's not going to necessarily dictate uh, Florida State's broader history or anything like that. And it's not a chance to uh, secure a, a flag that would uh, fly forever, but it's, a, it's an important game. It's a very important game for uh, attendance throughout the rest of the season, and it's a very important game for our, our current head coach. So uh, I'm by no means trying to trying to minimize the importance of it. So w- within the context of this season, is it the most important game of the year? Um, so is it? I, I think it depends on how we're who's who decides on how important it is if you're a local business owner if you're trying to sell tickets if you're uh in the athletic department i think you answer yes uh if you're from a pure florida state football perspective uh is it going to dictate as to whether or not you you know what your conference record looks like or anything like that we're not talking about winning any kind of championships this year uh but is it uh, i would say it holds more importance to the business side of things and uh, the general idea of support from the fan base more than it does maybe the uh, fundamentals of, of how you break down the season as to whether or not it was a success on the field. So let me ask you this. It, if for, like I, I kind of think Florida State's going to start 2-1 and one in some fashion, right? And th- that means obviously you, you win your, your, your cupcake game. And you probably like most likely, I would say you probably split Boise and UVA. Do you believe it would be better for FSU to win the Boise game and lose the UVA game, as opposed to the flip the flip side of that? 
I think uh, we, not we as a fan base, I think in general fan bases just put a lot of importance on the first game. And this is a fan base that's ready to make, uh, for good or for not, it's ready to make a decision on its head coach and other people uh, surrounding it. And I don't mean like that Willie's going to get a pink slip or anything like that. Uh, in fact, I, I'm probably on the outside 10% of like the record that I think it would take for Willie to get fired this year. I think it's more or less impossible. Uh, but I think that the fan base is, is ready to start making some decisions. And so I would classify that Boise state game maybe is a little bit more important than the UVA one. Not as though you're not going to have message board freakouts or, uh, nobody associated with this program is going to respond well to losing. Uh, I'm not trying to say that, but I would think that the fan base is going to be a, a real sour one if we go out there and lose in game one. I I agree with you. Okay, so uh, Malachi writes, uh, Hi, my name is Malachi. I'm a big fan of the show. I've been listening to the old cast for years. My question is there's been a lot of talk about Willie's offense being able to be adjusted mid-game and after halftime not scoring many points. And we witnessed this firsthand against Miami this year. I was wondering if you had any insights as to what Kendall Brown's offense is like in the second half and if his offenses uh, have the same second-half problem with the offenses being so similar. So I, 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 I reject the premise of the question. I, I don't know what episode this was. We covered this really well. Remember this? Like there was this really big message board idea that like they couldn't adjust in the second half and stuff. And we looked at it and we found like no correlation on this at all. Um, what we saw against Miami actually is that Florida State came out with a very good game plan and was able to get some points in the first half. And Miami was a much better team than Florida State was last year. I know FSU fans don't like to hear that. But you look at any kind of power ranking and you look at the players on the field, the, the thing that was surprising was that Florida State came out and scored some points. The, what happened in the second half is what should have been expected to happen throughout the entire game, which was Miami kicking the hell out of Florida State up front. I don't ha- I don't see any problem with, with second-half adjustments at all. And, and I we, we, we went back and looked at this at, at Oregon at USF, and what we noticed – I think at the time, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, basically if you score a lot of points in the first half, your numbers in the second half are almost certainly not going to be as good. But the points still count, right? Like, like you don't – they don't like, okay, well, we're going to move one touchdown because it was scored in the first half uh, to even this thing out a little bit. Like that's that's not how that works. Um, I haven't looked at Kendall Bryle's trend. I, I, I certainly can. Um but I, I don't. I don't think that's a thing. I, I'm a little surprised that um, that's still being talked about. I, I, I haven't seen talk about that until Malachi brought it up. But yeah, we we looked at this pretty hard. Remember, like last summer, this was a big thing that people people were asking about. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll make an attempt. Can't promise you how thorough it'll be, Malachi. But I'll certainly make an attempt to try to find that podcast and. Uh, and send it to you via an email. Uh, Randall writes, I understand that odds are Florida State will hire Martin Jr., but I'd like to submit uh, Michigan's head coach for consideration. Backage took Michigan to the CWS this season for the first time in three and a half decades. The same day his team beat Texas Tech to start the World Series, he won Coach of the Year. 
his team beat us to move 2-0 in the World Series for the first time in 57 years. Formerly, uh, he was formerly the head coach at then-ACC member Maryland, where he beat Florida State at least once, been, a, been an assistant at Clemson. Of note, he was there the same time as Kevin O'Sullivan, which would be a nice storyline for our rivalry with UF. Plus, I really liked his answer about creating a more diverse roster when recruiting and awarding scholarships. He makes 400k a year at Michigan for perspective. I believe Martin Sr. makes 700k a year. In the Big uh, in the Big Ten, that's not exactly known for uh, being a baseball powerhouse, I'll imagine he'll get a bump, a big bump after this season. And if it comes down to it, beating Michigan in a bidding war would be challenging. But isn't Backage exactly the type of guy that Florida State should be pursuing aggressively? Uh, I, I, I think Backage is, is a really good coach. Have we seen him do it as consistently as, as some of the other candidates out there? Maybe not. Can FSU afford to get him away from Michigan? Almost certainly not, right? I, at least I, I don't think so. Um, but you look at this. The one thing I noticed that the broadcast did harp a lot on on his his wanting to, to have a more diverse roster. And I think there's probably a really good market inefficiency that he's exploiting there. Did you watch the, like the game live or, or did you tape it? Uh, I watched the game. I watched the vast majority of the game live. Uh, I had about an inning and a half where I had to make it up on uh, DVR. So they, uh, um, it, it, it was pretty interesting to see see that go down like that. Uh, but the one thing that I noticed, like they kept talking about about the more diverse roster, and yeah, Michigan does have some guys who are a little bit less developed because they didn't play as much travel ball, um, and then they really wanted to go in the inner cities and do that. But what was what was carrying Michigan? was incredible pitching, right? And not that diverse of pitching, you know? Um, like, not, 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 to, 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 not to kind of bump the narrative. I, I think that, that Backage would be a great hire. I don't think you can really get him. And I do think th- what he's doing there makes a lot of sense in some ways. Uh, but I also don't know that that's necessarily what made Michigan win this year. So... Uh, I, I really hey, we got a baseball question. There you go. Yeah, Pretty cool. Yeah, got a baseball question. I think you're. Uh, I think Randall did a, a good job almost answering his own question there, uh, and I think you certainly added uh, a good perspective. Not much more else to uh, to add to that one. Uh, Scott writes, good evening, my fellow Knowles. I love Florida State baseball and have followed uh, the team pretty closely for the last 10 to 15 years. I know the 40 seasons of 40 wins by 11 is amazing and likely a feat that will never be topped. But I, uh, like I assume most of your listeners, my mind works in football. What is a 40-win season equivalent to in football? And what's the closest equivalent for a high-water streak of that kind that kind over the long term? My guess is Bobby's the closest thing in football, but that just might be my homer eyes. Okay, so I actually looked this up. This is one of the questions I, I dug into, and I apologize for not digging into the Kendall Bryles uh, second half of Chessman's question as much as I probably should have because uh, I was more focused on, on the first part of it. Uh, but – so I looked this up, 40 wins. How many teams typically win 40 games, right? And it's usually between like 10 and 15. So that the equivalent would roughly be finishing in the top 15 at roughly for 40 years consecutively, which is absolutely bonkers. Uh, Bobby's streak is more impressive as far as the top five finishes because of, of obviously top five compared to top 15, but it wasn't as long of a streak. I, I, I'm trying to think who has like the longest streak of, of finishing in the top 15. 
Yeah, I, I I think as far as a per win season, I think you'd be looking at eight wins a year. Something that that's the number that I would um, somewhat associate with a something like that. I'm trying to think. Well, okay, so I think it's probably eight wins back in like the '80s and '90s, and nine wins in today's. Yeah, schedule. I think it's got to okay. be nine because like it's hard to go top fifteen if if you're if you're eight and four, right? Um, it, yeah, it's probably. Probably when the streak started, it would have been eight, and then now it's 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 more nine, I would think. Most likely, yeah. Um, it's hard to it, it's really hard to say exactly because college baseball is uh, something that you know certainly at no time. I'm not trying to diminish what Martin did at all, but you know, college baseball as a sport certainly is not the level of competitiveness that, that college football, particularly in this part of the country. Um, so it's hard to exactly say what a what a perfect parallel would be, other than to just acknowledge the fact that Florida State enjoys uh, a prolonged level of consistency and success in baseball and football that really no other no other uh, program in the country can can point to, and it's a fantastic luxury that probably shouldn't. Uh, shouldn't be lost anytime soon and uh, a university that's been been blessed in in both football and baseball to have two uh kind of long-term uh men men at the helm who uh seem to do it in a way that the vast majority of alumni base could be proud of so uh uniqueness there i'm down with that you know also i'm down with is it's buy or sell time dude we're bringing it back you excited so uh, yeah man i am excited i like this a lot it's quick Way to way to hit topics without getting too bogged down in anything, and uh, fantastic to be able to circle back to a fan favorite. Had a lot of feedback asking about this, and happy to be able to bring it back to you. Brought to you, of course, by Resolution Home Loans. Resolution Home Loans is where I got my mortgage, where you should get your mortgage. At least check them out, 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. When you call 844-FSU-LOAN, you're going to hook up with Shannon Young. In my opinion, he's the best mortgage guy in the business. He's going to walk you through the process. He's going to get you a great competitive rates. And right now, rates are really good, by the way. So if you're, if you're looking to buy a house, now would be the time, guys. Let's let's get on this thing. And if you buy one through Resolution, we also send you a T-shirt. So man, that's hard to beat. I, I just sent out a couple more the other day. Uh, you know, we have had over 20 Nolcast listeners get their mortgages through Resolution Home Loans just this year. Who says online advertising doesn't work or podcast advertising doesn't work, man? Oh, well, it's, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of things that suggest it's one of the better forms of advertising out there. But uh, we won't we won't sidetrack or derail either our podcast or uh, the good people at Rezo's uh, ad read here. Uh, wonderfully appreciated. They've been a fantastic partner. And, and like you said, uh, you have firsthand experience uh, of of the way in which they go about doing things, as do many of our listeners now. So uh, thank you to them and thank you to the listeners for uh, trying out somebody that, that we really were blown away with and, and happy to be able to partner with. All right, let's jump into this. So Thaddeus uh, asks, we will see more, uh, by ourselves, we will see more 3-4 than 3-4 defense this year. More 3-4 than 4-3? Excuse me, yes. I Now, I think we might see more 4 down than 3-4 because of the you know, the nickel stuff. But I, I don't know how much true 4-3 they're going to play. This is kind of tough for me. Huh. 
I, I think I'm going to buy. Because I, I think they're either going to be in their 3-4 or, or in their nickel package. Yeah. I'll give a, a non-committal, ambiguous answer that I, I think the 3-4 is coming. I don't. I think it's still kind of a year away. I, I don't know that we'll see maybe as much of it this year as, as starting to be talked about. I could I could be wrong about that, uh, but I, I think we're not quite there yet uh, from a personnel perspective or necessarily a, a scheme perspective, but we'll find out shortly. Uh, our old man Krypton here writes 1,200 yards for Cam Akers this year, buy or sell. I think I'm going to buy. I know it, it may sound crazy, but if we're count, I mean, like, not that he necessarily play in the bowl game, but I think he'll have some big games. Fo- running the football is going to be a focus for them. In my opinion, they're going to be better on the interior of the offensive line. That should help them out a lot. It's money year. I, if he just gets a couple games where he has like 150 or 180, 200, you know, I, I I think I'll buy. It, it, it's not a slam dunk, though. It, it's a good number. And we like when you submit good numbers, by the way. We, we don't like numbers that are total slam dunks because it does not provide for good opportunities for debate. Uh, I'll buy as well. Uh, I think he gets there. Obviously, any of this is a absent injury conversation or anything else, but I think a healthy Cam Akers uh, trying to get paid, as you so correctly and uh, influentially point out, uh, I see Cam going north at 1,200. All right. So, uh, Sweep the Leg asks, uh, the offense will average 30 or more points a game. Let's check out what the uh, – what did they average last year? Like 11 points a game? <laughs> that was that was a joke. Obviously, I got it. They, uh, yeah. I got it. Uh, scoring offense, going to cfbstats.com. Florida State averaged 21.9 points a game. So, that would be a – That'd be a pretty big improvement. Um, be a 37% improvement. 30 points a game. How many teams do you think averaged 30 points a game last year? Uh, 75? Uh, 58. 58, okay. So not, not quite as high scoring as I thought. I, uh, I will sell. Uh-huh. I, th- I would guess they'll, they'd be just under it. The thing is, I'm just kind of going here in my head, right? There's a lot of games where I, I, I would kind of peg them in the, the upper upper 20s or low 30s. The problem is you kind of need to find ways to balance out some of the games where you project them to score like zero or seven, you know, like the Clemson game. And and if you do that, you need to find a game where you, where you basically project them to score, you know, seven or eight touchdowns. There's one or two on there that, that they could definitely do it in, maybe three. Um, uh, I'm in a good mood. I, I I guess I'll buy, but I, I think it'll be around there. A, a 37% improvement in points per game, though, would be, man, that's going to sell some tickets for sure. <laughs> yeah, that would, uh, that'd be a nice little, nice little thing to see in, in year one of, uh, <clears throat> of a new coordinator and, uh, not necessarily a new system, but, a. uh, not necessarily a replica of somebody else's system. Uh, ten touchdowns or more for Terry, bud. You buying or selling that idea? All right. Uh, how many did he have last year? He had, uh, he had at least that number last year, right? Didn't he? Mm, I thought he was a little under that last year. Let me look. Uh, he had eight. I'm sorry. Okay. So eight touchdowns last year. Blackman likes throwing the ball to him a lot. 
What what if we reset it at twelve? At twelve, I'm going under. Twelve touchdowns is a ton. I mean, you know how many guys last year had twelve touchdowns in the entire country? Eight, eight dudes had twelve touchdowns. Now, if you, ten is a much more gettable number. Twenty-one guys last year had ten touchdowns. Only eight dudes had um, had twelve touchdowns. That that's kind of tough. Uh, so I. I'm gonna go ahead and 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 say ten touchdowns for Terry. He's really good, man. I'm taking the over I, on the ten. Yeah, I'm gonna buy. And I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say at the end of the year we're gonna look back on a twelve touchdown or more season for Terry. So. Ooh, going big. Uh, going big. Going big. Speaking of which, going big. At least three wide receivers with more than forty catches, bud. By yourself. Uh, I'm going to buy that, and here's why. I went back and looked up some of what Kendall Bryles got or offenses have done before. Last year at Houston, he did not reach this mark, uh, but previously at Florida Atlantic, um, he – what did he do? So last year at Houston, right, you had one guy catch 75 balls, Marquez Stevenson, and then you had one dude catch 40, and you had three guys catch 35, 33, and 30. Um, and one of those dudes was, was a, a quarterback slash receiver, so kind of up and down there. Now, if you go to FAU when Kendall was there, he had one guy go 56, 24, 32, 33. So he didn't reach it there uh, either. I, I think I'm still okay with it, though, right? Like I, I think between DJ Matthews and Terry and whoever you like to be the, be the three there, uh, I'm – I think they're going to get it done. I like their chances. I'm kind of in a good mood tonight. This is, this is uh, pretty optimistic. Uh, maybe I was going to say maybe I'm maybe I'm overcome with optimism myself, but I'm going to buy that number. Hey, Ingram, have you seen this website, uh, FSUJacksTailgate.com? Uh, you've been reading about it uh, the past couple of weeks on doing your great ad reads on the Nolcast, and I just pulled it up now. Pretty landing page here, and the first thing I see is a beautiful indoor space. For our Florida State versus Boise State tailgate with Madison Social, I think we're the only podcast out there to have a beautiful twenty-seven thousand square foot indoor space for our sponsors tailgate. How cool is that? To me, it's going to be really cool. I'm emphasizing the word "cool" here because it's going to be air conditioned, beautiful, cold air conditioning. Jacksonville, August thirty-first, going to be extremely hot, muggy, maybe hot, muggy, and rainy. You want to be able to tailgate. You want to have the indoor option for your tailgate? We're going to give that to you for five hours. Uh, basically, up until the time of kickoff, it's going to be adjusted a little bit once we figure out exactly what time uh, that's going to happen. Tailgate will start at 2 for 7 p.m. kickoff. Option one, go to FSUJacksTailgate.com. You get into the tailgate, and you get two drinks, 20 bucks. Option two, this is the option that I, I'm recommending, by the way, because it's going to be a long day of drinking. Not out of control drinking, but some good drinking here. Option two, you get into the tailgate, two drinks, and you get a plate of food. That really sets the base, the foundation, right? We talk about floor and ceiling, right, all the time on this show. You want to have the solid floor for your tailgate. How do you set that solid floor for the tailgate, right? You got to have air conditioning. You cannot be too hot. You don't want to wear yourself out before the game starts. You got to have a little food. You got to set that stomach floor. Then you can kind of build on those building blocks of the food with, with some drinks you can actually get more drinks at the event, but you want to set that solid base by getting that $25 ticket at FSUJacksTailgate.com. 
That's how to go to tailgate with us August 31st for Florida State Boise in Jacksonville. If it rains, you're covered. If it's hot, you're covered. You want to see us? You're covered. FSUJacksTailgate.com with Mattis Social. Get there. A really interesting one here. Uh, Next comes from Big B. Big B writes, 27 wins over the next three seasons. Buy or sell? Now, are we counting? uh, Counting bowl games? Yeah, that's that's the question. Because if if you're not counting bowl games, this is an easy sell. Yeah, I think we're counting final record here, however you get them. Man, this so this year I think you got to put them at like probably I think eight's a pretty safe number if you count the bowl, right? So that would be nineteen over the next two. So we need to have basically like one. Got to have a, a a stair step of eight, nine, ten here. Yeah, I think that's right. Or or you know if you have an eleven, you know then then you can go ahead and. I this is tough. I kind of need to look at what their 2021 schedule is. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this annoying thing where I type live on the podcast. Never. Do they have that crazy uh, out of conference stuff in 2021? Oh, they have Notre Dame that year as well. They're at Clemson. Um, they're at UNC. So that's that's another crossover. I'm gonna have to sell that, man. Yeah. I, 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 I don't think I can do that because in 2020 they've also scheduled West Virginia and at Boise. They, they, they're just they're not <laughs> picking up enough automatic wins. Uh, the fact that we're traveling to Boise still cracks me up. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna have a hard time. I'm not, I very much uh, want to say bye to Big B's question here, uh, but I feel like I'd be more trying to convince myself of it than something that I'm uh, necessarily really actually thinking is going to uh, transpire. So I, I too will sell here. Dave C writes getting at least two quality offense tackles in the 2019 recruiting class buy or sell. Uh, but I will let you define for the question's sake as to what you would classify as quality. Okay. So quality, I, I like that Dave said quality. He didn't say something like amazing or, or great quality. So quality, I would say quality prospects are guys who I would project uh, to have the potential to be multi-year starters um, at some point in their career. So maybe years three, four, or five. And I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, I think Florida State will land two quality offensive tackle prospects. Um, that's a buy for me. I'm not going to comment on whether they will be early impact type guys. So that just going to leave that alone. That's a buy. Good mood. Yeah, as the way you defined it, I, I, I think it's not gonna not gonna take a lot for somebody to sign for Florida State as a tackle right now and have a very legitimate chance to be a multi-year starter. So, uh, by that definition, I would almost certainly buy. Uh, Roberto asks, more likely to go zero and two against UNM, uh, or or more like exactly is this? I think he's asking more likely to go zero and two against Miami and UF than one and one. All right, so let's think about this. What do you think the chances that, that they go zero and two? I'm not going to say that you're almost certainly going to lose to Florida, but that that's not a game right now that I would necessarily uh, see Florida State winning. What's the likelihood of of going and beating Miami? Is Florida State still a favorite in that game, Bud? 
I, I mean, it's a favorite to it, like in, to the extent that like anybody considers a, a, a June line of like a point or two. In it, it's it's a coin flip, pretty much regardless, right? Um, yeah, so coin flip in one and not not a certainty. So statistically, you would say that they're more likely to go one and one than zero oh and two, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I, I think that's that's right because you like factored into the one and one scenario, you could also include the Florida loss in there, right? So it's pretty clearly the one and one, in my opinion. Unless unless you think Miami is like a, you know. 1585 proposition, which I, I don't, uh, and most reasonable people, I, I don't think would. Oh man, Raven, Raven Knoll's trying to get me in, in the negative mode here. I'm not going to fall for this. Uh, three offensive linemen being in the top 50% of the pro football focus ranking at year's end. Okay, so number one, I don't really trust PFF's college rankings because I don't think they have the All-22 for all the games, and I don't know who they have grading these games or if these people actually know the assignments. In fact, I'm pretty sure they don't. Uh, but I do think that they were okay last year, their, their rankings at least as to how they evaluated some players on FSU's team. Three offensive linemen. Okay, so this is kind of tricky because they might be in the top because they're, they're against all the other players in the country, you know? Like, I don't think they would have three in the top of the power five, but the way it's phrased, I – man, I'm still going to sell. But he made me think a little bit. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and sell this. Do you think they'll have three of their starters in the top half of the country? No, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh Two more national titles in football if underclassmen never left early in any year since 86. I think that's an easy buy. Am I missing? I put this in there because I wanted to know if I was missing something. Like, is there any reason why this would not be an easy buy? Unless he means no underclassmen for any program. Right. Uh, I, that is actually how I interpreted the question. Um, yeah, I would... I would still have to buy that. I mean, although during that during the the late nineties, I mean, Florida State was getting kids to. Nobody thought work done was ever going to play his senior year, or, or I maybe shouldn't say nobody, but that came as a big surprise. Uh, Peter Warwick returned to school at a time when that was not necessarily expected. Florida State certainly had some defectors and lost some kids, but they also kept kids on campus and then. Like very famously, Sam Cowart was going to declare uh, immediately after an Orange Bowl that he ended up breaking his leg in. So you got an extra year of him after a, a year of rehab. Uh, Florida State lost a lot of talent, but it didn't necessarily hemorrhage it and kept kids when maybe other programs wouldn't have. Yep, I'm. I'm I think I'm in line with you there. Frank writes, Florida State baseball makes it to the College World Series final series before Florida State football makes it to the playoff, assuming that it is not expanded from its current form. Well, they're going to have better pitching next year. I still think you got to go football. I mean, it, so I'm going to go ahead and sell this. I, I think football has a better chance of making a playoff. Um, before baseball has a chance of making the, the College World Series final. Simply because it's, A, 
you have a smaller pool of teams, like literally eligible for the college ball playoff. You're not going to see like a UCF in the playoff or anything crazy like that, most likely. Not anytime soon. So you have that that aspect of it. In baseball, I mean, like Coastal Carolina, didn't they win a national title or, or, or go to the they final? They won a national like title, recently? what, six years ago? Something like that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and Fresno State Fresno, won one. So Fresno there's State, so teams you have to didn't Oregon against. State win in a, a year that they had a good team but didn't necessarily project as winning the damn College World Series? Yeah, you do see some, some wild stuff. Uh, I would still buy football here as well. Yeah, I, I'm thinking I'm buying football. And that is uh, – that's tonight's show. Fantastic. By the way, hey, did you see we passed 3,000 reviews on 3, iTunes? 3,000 five-star reviews. That's hard to imagine. Can't tell you how much uh, Bud and I appreciate that. Just, uh, again, those things are kind of silly how important they are sometimes. But uh, we, we very much appreciate you, the listener base, taking your time to leave a review. And it's uh, just very much appreciated, I can assure you. So, look, we don't make content for algorithms, okay? We make content for y'all, the listener. But algorithms do pay attention to the ratings. That's why, like Ingram says, it's kind of kind of silly how much that stuff matters. The, the, the iTunes algorithm and, and the Google algorithm and all that stuff, they, they do care about ratings and all, and all that kind of stuff. I care about your listener numbers. I care about how many y'all are listening to the show. I care about the feedback we get. And I think that Ingram and I have always been pretty consistent on that. But man, I also like getting these reviews because that's awesome. Like, if you want to review us, give us those five stars in there. That's really cool. And uh, if I was a computer, that's all I would care about. So, yeah, that's uh, that's all there. All right, y'all. As always, we appreciate it. Thank you much. We'll uh, we'll talk to you soon.